Blog Talk Radio. The time for talking's over now, I guess it's time to let you go. But I don't, no I don't mind at all. It's getting so you never know when things are better after all. But I don't, and no I don't. Hello everyone and welcome to Rundgren Radio. Tonight's special guest is Brent Bourgeois. He's only got an hour for us, ladies and gents, so we're going to buzz straight on into the interview, and then when we're done, we'll have some announcements, and Doug's going to call in, and who knows what kind of trouble we're going to do tonight. But welcome, Brent. Thanks for joining us. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, good, good. In cyberspace. It, sort of, yes, yes. Let me ask you a, a weird question. I... Uh, Doug is our usual host on this show, and he has an Alabama accent. And I've teased him for so long about how he says your last name, but now I think I may have it wrong. Will you say your last name, please? Bourgeois. Bourgeois. Okay, so just like in French. That's what it is. Okay. Well, I was poking around on your website, which is brentbourgeois.com, and uh, I just want to ask you real quickly about I see you're writing a book well I wrote I wrote a book that is being serialized on the site right now it's a nonfiction book and I had just finished the second book uh, it's a historical novel okay yeah that's that that novel's the thing that's up there um, on the website that you can read right now, chapter by chapter. No, it's the the, the first book, my nonfiction book, is the is the book that you can read oh. on there right now. I haven't put uh, my novel up there yet. I don't know if I will. I'm trying to get it published. Ah, okay. Well, I, I wish you luck on that. It's it's tough. It's like a, it's a whole uh, new uh, world of groveling. <laughs> What what is the uh, the fictional novel about? It's about George W. Bush. And it's fiction. Yeah, I've I've recreated the uh, the four years between uh, 9/11 and the election of 2004. Kind of, I didn't like the way it it came out the first time, so I rewrote it. <laughs> and it's a funny it's funny and it's you know it's it's a uh, it's just sort of, you know, like a lot of people probably wish that things would have turned out differently. And so n- not being able to actually change history, it's a, I, I could write my own. I think a lot of people would like to rewrite it, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what it's about. It's, a, it's, it's, it's good fun. Oh, good. Okay. Well, look forward to it. Yeah. Well, you know, your friend Larry Tagg is, is a book writer as well. Are you guys in some kind of competition? Well, you know, it's not a competition, but it is uh, it is a fraternity of sorts in that that uh, he reads uh, kind of uh, critiques my my writing and I read and critique his writing. Uh, um, we we're you know we're eyes for each other and uh, and we send uh, send chapters back and forth uh, through the through the web 
Uh, he's an English teacher. He's a little farther along in, in the proper use of the language than I am. But, but uh, we, you know, we it's a it's a good way to to stay in touch, and it's a, just another form of creativity. It's kind of funny because because people that know me as a musician often wonder how you know when am I going to be writing more music or doing more more music, and I you know I I just answer I am writing. I'm just writing books now. You know, it's just a different different end of the same kind of creativity. Right, right. Okay. Well, I I think that's 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 perfectly fine. Yeah. Writing is writing, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's just a different kind of discipline, but it's uh, it's it's you know every bit as creative yeah. as writing songs to me. Anyway. Yeah. Well, listen, I've already got one caller, so I think I'm gonna go ahead and take it. Uh, let's see if I can connect on area code. Four three four. Who is this? It's Bill Bricker. Hi, Bill Bricker. Welcome to the show. Hey, how are you? Hello, Brad. Hello. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. Um, the first thing I want to say to you is is thank you for reintroducing me to the fact that I like um, songs that are that are well written and well produced because at the time the Bourgeois Tag came out. I really was sort of in a non-Todd Rundgren phase, <laughs> and I heard your song on the radio. I loved it, and then when I found out Todd produced it, it just gave me such a gift back. I had no idea he had done the album or, or that he had produced it, and oh, it was yeah. so ref- it was so refreshing to me to be able to just fall in love with a song that's well written and well made. So uh, I just yeah. want to say thank you for that. Well, a uh, brilliant, brilliant song. Welcome. Thank you very um, much. I, okay, um, and it's a great album too. It's it's really um, not talked about that too much in terms of the circles that I come in, uh, but I, I rate it very highly in terms of Todd's productions. Uh, certainly up there with Skylarking, which gets a lot more chatter uh, amongst the uh, the people that I I talk about music with. So uh, great job there. Skylarking was the album that immediately preceded this one. Right. Uh, so it's like right in that same vein. So I guess you guys just got along too well with Todd because Skylarkin got all the press because Andy and Todd had that's, his back. That's exactly <laughs> right. And, and believe me, we heard all about it. Uh, you uh, know, the, we got to hear Todd's oh. side because uh, 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 he's just come out of that. And, uh, oh, wow. Well, what, uh, well, well, let me hear about that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll shelve my question. Well, I'll, I'll do this. I'll do this. Let me ask my question, and you can talk about how it goes back and forth because I really want to hear it. I understand the way it's been told is that you guys came in with some songs and Todd made some commentary about how they needed to be better, and then you went and wrote the song "Cry Like a Baby," and it had something to do with addressing the emotion you had about Todd's reception of your music. So that's, is that the way exactly it happened? Right. I mean, that's, okay. That's, and then how? And, and all you can say about the Andy thing—that'd be cool. <laughs> I'll listen now. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, and in fact, I, I sent the "Cry Like a Baby" song to Melinda as a, one of the examples of the music. But uh, what was interesting is when Larry and I went to to show him our demos, show Todd the demos. Uh, he had almost no comments or criticisms about the music, um, which really surprised us. I think we were more. I don't know, more tuned in to the music. And he had, you know, basically I guess he thought that what we were doing as musicians or as songwriters in the music department 
was fine or, or didn't need a lot of work, but he was very critical of our lyrics. Um, and I think we were going through a kind of a talking heads phase in our, you know, just, just kind of uh, observational lyrics about things that didn't weren't really close to us, but, uh, you know, emotionally, but they were just interesting. Look over there, isn't that interesting? You know, kind of David Byrne-like. Uh, and Larry was even more probably like that than I was. But uh, and, and he just he just really didn't like that and didn't didn't think we were coming um, close to what what our potential could be if we kind of ditched the uh, the kind of third-party observational lyrics and, and kind of started digging into our own deep you know in our psyches about what what are we about what's our you know what's bugging us what do we like what's hurt what hurts and all that kind of and it really made a big impression on me my first my first reaction was was sort of uh well what the hell do you want from me you know um it's kind of indignant because um, you know of course if I, I wrote it so i liked it i was sort of like you know i wouldn't have written it if i didn't think it was good I kind of had that kind of arrogance about myself, and uh, but uh, so I went home and wrote a song uh, that really spoke very much from my heart about what I had just been told, and it was basically um, just well, that's the first of a, line of the song, right? Yeah, what the hell kind of a rant at, at what I just heard, you know, uh, um, just kind of like uh, you know, it's just it's actually kind of a kind of a immature type of a response, but at least it was it was right to the point. <laughs> and he well, you liked know, it. It turned he out it, it. it turned out to be a very good song and, and I do have a clip of that and I will play it, but since we've only got Brent for a short period of time tonight, y'all, we're gonna wait and play the bulk of the music after uh Brent has to go to his meeting. So uh, yeah, as far as the uh the Todd and Skylarking it, you know, he he was a lot nicer about about uh, XTC than they were in the press about him, um, which is saying a lot because Todd has a very, you know, as, as anybody knows him, he has, he, can, he has a very sarcastic sense of humor and he can really dig, you know, hard at somebody when he wants to. But he was actually pretty, pretty uh, even-handed about it and. Um, he was more actually. I kind of felt like he was more hurt than anything about what they were saying about him, and I think they were just you know for one thing, I think Andy Partridge you know met the American Andy Partridge you know he met his doppelganger huh. when he uh, when he got together with with Todd and, and vice versa um, because they both sort of came from the same place uh, from a personal personality point of view, and I can I can imagine that that was quite a um, you know, uh, I, from what I understood about the situation was XTC was really kind of goaded into using Todd by their label. They wanted an American uh, success. They'd had they'd been popular in Europe and in England, uh, but really hadn't broken through above a kind of a cult following in the United States. And so their label gave them a list of American producers uh, to choose from, and he was the only one they'd ever heard of. Mm-hmm. So they picked him, <laughs> and and uh, and I think he made a 
Uh, great. I think it's, it's the, you know, it, it was their most listenable record by far. And what happened was he played us all the, de- all the demo songs that didn't make the album. And it's, it's all those kind of complicated, kind of dark um, songs that, that they did, kind of their style before that record. And he just chose you didn't all have to get a copy of those, did you? But <laughs> 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 he probably does. But but uh, but uh, you know, it, it it really is funny because he picked all the kind of poppy songs that I'm sure that Andy Partridge was not happy about that right from the beginning. And then he started putting them all into an order. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, kind of it wasn't really they didn't weren't really aware he was doing this. He started putting them in an order, and he because he kind of made a, a an album that kind of flowed together. And so they weren't real happy about that either. Um, but, you know, I, I, once again, I think that they made a, you know, he made a, a, a pop record, a successful pop record. And I think that they learned a lot from that because I think like Oranges and Lemons is a lot closer to that record than it is to anything else they did. Mm-hmm. Um, and onward, you know. Uh-huh. Did he do that too? And this will be my last one because I want to. If anybody else wants to get in, I don't want to. Yeah, we got a bunch of callers. <laughs> yeah, I'll go. I'll go out with this one. Did he? Did he do anything like that with your material to put it in an order or make a story? And where did the name Yo-Yo come from? No, um, no, he didn't. But I did after that. I mean, in my own work, I became someone who really liked to do that with, with, uh, with records. Um, and I did that as a producer. Um, but he didn't really do that with us. And the, the name Yo-Yo really doesn't have a deep meaning. It's like one of those things where you sit around and you got to, you know, it, it, any it's naming of a band or a record or anything like that turns real juvenile real quick. And, and we got to call name, it something. Yes, and that name <laughs> just kind of came, came out of, I, I don't even remember who did it, or, or but it, it sounded good to us. And, uh, and uh, you know, it's, I think at that time there were, you know, the trend was kind of short little names like that, Peter Gabriel So and, you know, yeah. those kind of things. Yeah. So, well, Bill, yeah. you had some good questions. Thank you a right. whole lot it's for very coming nice, Very nice to meet you on the phone, Brent, and uh, I applaud uh, all your work and, and uh, got your solo records too. So well, more power you, to you. I appreciate really appreciate that. the opportunity to, to, to tell you that. No problem. All right. Aloha, nice. Bill. Aloha. Okay, bye-bye. Well, Brent, I've actually got another caller. If you're ready to take on a caller. It's no, you know, that's, that's why I'm here. Okay. All right. I, I obviously didn't need to prepare because <laughs> other people are asking the questions for me. <laughs> well, you know what? Uh, you know, feel free to jump in there. Uh, I will, I'll give my, give my all if I can. Uh, we've got Dave Kay calling from Florida, I believe. Dave, are you there? Oh, Dave. Okay, Dave got tired, apparently. We'll we'll leave him there and uh, see if he pops up. While we're talking about Yo-Yo, uh, of course, your your biggest hit as a band with Bourgeois Tag was I Don't Mind At All. Yes. And we're all very familiar with that song. Uh, I played a little bit of it there at the beginning of the show, and I've got a, a full copy of it to play later on. Uh you, that that ended up being a big hit for you guys, and I've often wondered. I mean, I love the twist at the end with the lyrics, but uh, in what state of mind were you 
when you wrote that? Were you was it about a girl? What was it about? Um, you know, I put myself into sort of fictional characters, and and uh, I, you know, I I must say that when I wrote that song, I probably wasn't uh, the healthiest mentally. Um, so there was some, there's probably some uh, deep truth that could could be uh, to be gained from that if I, you know, under under a psychologist's care. Uh, but but you know I um, I, I wrote uh, there were other things I wrote kind of like that that uh, I, I I tended towards the the darker side of of emotions. I, and I don't know why, because I, I, I was always kind of a happy guy. Um, but when I wrote, I think, I think it was more interesting to me to write about kind of complicated, darker emotions. It just resonated more with me as a writer. Um, and I can, you know, I think it's, I think it's in some ways it's easier. Um, just like as an actor, it's easier to play somebody that's a, a bad guy than it is to play a good guy. I've always, oh, definitely, I've always heard that, and. Uh, I think there's something to that. It's easier to write about, you know, the dark, dark stuff than it is to write about. Hey, I'm having a great day. Everything's everything's fine, you know. <laughs> comedy's hard, you know. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, uh, but you know what? Uh, edgy comedy is easier. Um, you know, commenting a parody and and satire. Um, you know, and so I don't know. I'm I, uh, and I'm also as a writer, I've also been someone who's very uh very careful about how the words sound coming out of my mouth like the the, the way that it's called mellifluous and that's uh that's the way you know consonants and syllables sound coming out of your mouth and the ease to which they they flow and so a lot of my words come come with that in mind mm-hmm. i might i might uh sing nonsense because it sounds good and then i figure out what i'm saying Right. <laughs> well, you know, I've heard Todd actually say something similar to that, and uh, yeah, but that's, that's, I'm sure I'm not alone with that one because I know that I've heard other writers say that too. They'll they'll uh, they'll make a song with a bunch of uh, nonsense, uh, and then try to figure out you know words that go with the nonsense because the nonsense sounds good because it's sort of the the way you want it to sound, but you don't really have that other part of your brain kicked in yet. Mhm, mhm. I get it. I get. It. Well, it's a great song, and and uh, I told Larry Tag when he was on the show that uh, you're familiar with Kazim Sultan, right? Oh yeah. Okay. Well, he does some some solo acoustic uh, shows out and about, and uh, I don't mind at all is in his repertoire, and he always gives you. Uh, Great props, and always says huh. he wishes that he had been the one to write that song. Yeah, that's very nice. Yeah, yeah. That's that's really nice because he's a, he does a good a job too. Great player. Um, I'm gonna try again and see if Dave is on the phone. Dave, can you hear me? Huh? We're having trouble. Oh, Dave. Yo, Dave, are you there? All right, we're gonna go to another caller. Uh, this actually looks like someone that possibly knows you personally. Let me see. Who is calling from 916? I'm Ellis Roger Linder. Oh, hey, Roger. <laughs> You're in Sacramento, too. That's true. Yay. And I have met Brett. Uh, hello. 
Hi, Brent. How you doing? I'm doing well. So my uh, question, first of all, I, I was at the Crest concert there last month, mm-hmm. which was just absolutely fantastic. It's one of the best shows I've ever seen. Well, and you. Uh, you guys just killed. So, you know, I'm, I'm hearing that, you know, a possible DVD coming out of that. Uh, how true is that? That's true. Um, that is a true statement. Uh, it, there was it was a three-camera shoot, and, uh, you know, these things take time, and, and you know, it, it, was a, it was a benefit. So the people that did it did it for free. And so what happens when something like that happens is that they're a company that has, you know, paid work. And so they'll edit this thing when, when they get a lull in their paid work. Uh, that's what happens a lot of times in these kind of situations. You know, it's very nice they did it for free, but you can't expect them to stop working to finish it. So, you know, God bless them for having work, and I hope they, I hope they have a lot of work. But when they, when they get a lull, they'll, they'll uh, edit it, and we'll get it out as soon as we can. Oh, that'll be great. Are, is the, uh, the ben- are the uh, proceeds going to go to can't, Richard? Yes, yes. That's a, it'll be another another welcome addition to that to that money. Um, yeah, and we we uh, we recorded it separately uh, uh, that night by a guy named Ralph Stober. Uh, recorded had a separate whole rig to record it, so it'll be a very good sound as well. So, um, so does that mean yeah. will there be a CD too then, or just the DVD? Well, you know what, I'm not sure about that. I I don't think so. I think that what we're gonna do is just just release it as a DVD. You know. Um, and with 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 good sound, you know. Very good. Uh, feature all the. You might want to explain. Some people may not have heard the Larry Tag interview where we talked specifically about why you guys did that show. You want to give it yeah. to us? Yeah. Uh, uh, one of my very best friends in the world, who actually lives in the Dallas Fort Worth area, Richard Oates, uh, was the lead singer of the band Uncle Rainbow, which is the band that Larry and I were in immediately preceding uh, Bourgeois Tag. Uh, and um, he uh, is in dire need of a liver transplant, which would be his second liver transplant. He had a liver transplant seven years ago uh, and uh, did has done well for a while, but uh, there are some serious problems with it. And uh, he's in he's in real need. If he doesn't get a liver transplant in the next six eight months, he probably won't make it. But he's on the list. And uh, his medical problems, you know, his medical uh, 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 his bills far exceed even what uh, what a generous uh, uh, insurance policy will do. Especially considering that he's already had one uh, transplant. A transplant, a liver transplant, runs between four and five hundred thousand dollars. Ooh, you know, and it's more than I carry on me. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, and so you know, we did our bit, and uh, you know, and I hopefully we can do some more. And uh, uh, you know, it's it's tough, you know, because the deductible on something like that <laughs> is incredible. That's not to mention that he has to go to the hospital about every ten days. Uh, to he's got this bag coming out of his side that. You know, yeah. drains. It's it's an ugly picture, but it's 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 you know at this point you know it's, it's tons of drugs that he has to take, and 
you know, it's it's uh, it's tough. It's tough. Uh, so, so we're doing our best to to get him, you know, all the money we can. Well, I I did hear through the grapevine. Roger, uh, who's on the line, he actually runs the uh, TR Connection website, which is all about Todd. Yeah. And Roger went there, and he gave us a good report when he came back. Um, but it, it's a good thing that Richard must have been having a, a good week or a good month that time because he got to come and perform, right? Well, that, and that's funny because, first of all, when we first started uh, putting this together, there was no way he was even coming. Um, he was in the hospital, and, he, and he, you know, he wasn't even going to be there then. We heard that he might be able to come, you know, but he, you know, he really wasn't supposed to be flying. But he, and then we heard that he was in fact going to be there, um, and so he came. And then he he showed up the the like the day before, two days before, and we were rehearsing. And he came. And then it was like, well, do you think you might just be able to do a song, you know? Uh, you, you know, as long as you're there, everybody's gonna want to hear you sing a song if you're if you're well enough to do. It. And so we. So we worked out that he would do a song. Well, once he came to practice and he started to sing, it was almost impossible for him or us to get him off the mic. Because uh, <laughs> we were doing all of our Uncle Rainbow songs, and it was kind of silly. He's sitting there, and he's not singing these songs that he sings. So he started singing, and, you know, I felt pretty good. And, uh, well, okay. You know, we can't tell his wife. Uh, <laughs> but... Uh, you know, and then before we knew it, he was pretty much singing most of the songs. Uh, and then, sadly, uh, the 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 night uh, before the show, in the middle of the night, he got sick, staying at a, a friend's house. He got ran a big high temperature, and I got a call at seven o'clock in the morning saying he's sick. We 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 don't know what what to do. His wife wanted him to fly home, uh, you know, but he couldn't do that. Uh, and, and then at that moment, he, he wasn't, not only was he not singing, but he wasn't going to be able to come to the show, uh, which was really sad because he flew all the way out there and we're having this show and he's not going to be able to even come. So he slept the whole day and he woke up at six o'clock that evening, kind of an hour and a half before the show started or something. And, uh, his fever had broken and, uh, he, he wanted to come down there and he shows up, you know, five minutes before the show starts and. Uh, he's, he's, and then next thing I know, when Uncle Ramo got up there, he there he was, and he sang about four songs. Oh, that's great! <laughs> so, uh, and he did pretty well, you know. I mean, he, you know, it's just it's strange how the body works and what adrenaline does for you. And we were all praying that he wouldn't, you know, collapse after the show and die right there because it, you know, he was, you know, he was pumped up with with adrenaline. Yeah. And oh. you know, and and it, and it. I, I'm sure that it was it was enabling him to do more than he probably should have. Yeah. So Roger, you, Roger, did you think that that he did okay? That Richard did okay? You know that that was a transforming moment in the in the concert. It just they see him get up there and do that, and and you could see that he was having a fantastic time, and the group was having a fantastic time with him on the stage. It was it was so obvious to all of us watching it. And it was, yeah, and it would have been just really totally uh, hard to do without him because his voice was so much a part of the band, and we were prepared to do it without him. But but it was so great that he was able to to do what he could. Did you guys because, do your famous Beatles medley? No, <laughs> there was some talk about that, but you know, 
it would have been very hard to do uh, at that point. We were trying to, to concentrate on doing originals, uh, doing the doing our original music, and uh, and uh, we did a few jazz uh, things. We did a few jazz covers that we used to do because that was a big part of our band too. Uh, but between a little John Sanders and uh, we had, you know, we had plenty enough original music to, to play. So, but we thought about it. <laughs> Ah, okay. BT did do one Beatles song. Yeah, we did Tomorrow Never Knows. Uh, right. And that was, oh, that was great. Excellent. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing it on DVD. I, I hope it comes out fairly quickly. And I know the sooner it comes out, the more it can benefit Richard. Well, obviously, yes. And the more it can also benefit from the proximity to the date that it was done. So, you know, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'd be really interested in it, too. My, my son opened the show. Which is also kind of cool. And at one point, we I did a song of mine from my solo uh, time that, and my one of my daughters came up and sang with my son. We did three part harmony, which is the first time we'd ever done that. So that was kind of cool. That that was very good. I I, I really enjoyed that. Yeah. So uh, now was that also uh, Adrian's largest audience? I know that uh, I've, um, I've seen him several times around town. You know, he's played. He, he's played at the warehouse in front of probably at least that many people. Uh, but, you know, in a situation like that, yeah, uh, I think that was his best audience, you know, the, uh, where, where there was kind of the most on the line, you know, and um, he thoroughly enjoyed himself. Uh, and it's, it's interesting because the guys that like to play with him are all those. I mean, what you saw is the band that, that accompanies him quite often. Uh, around town, which is a blessing and a curse. It's a blessing because obviously those guys are great and they love, it's Larry Tag and Mike Rowe and Steve Mitchell, um, uh, all guys that are, you know, on the other side of 50, which is a which is the curse part of it because his music tends to attract musicians of that age um, <laughs> because he sounds like that. He has, his writing kind of lends itself to that and, and people his own age either don't get it or they don't want to play that kind of music or, you know, they, they want to shred. <laughs> or, that you know, it, it's been tough for him to get a band together uh, of people that are, you know, reasonably close to his age. Um, yeah. But he's he's slowly doing it. Uh, he's doing. He's living in San Francisco and he's putting together a band. So I'm, I'm happy that, that that's going on. I've heard a little of his stuff on MySpace. Um, it's... It, why don't we give him a plug here? I think it's myspace.com backslash Adrian Bourgeois. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, Adrian Bourgeois. Yeah, and he also has his own website, like most people do at this point. Yeah, uh, he's he's really good, really good songwriter. Um, and in the same mold as, you know, there's you can hear. It's funny you can hear Todd in him, and he doesn't. He's not really. He's he's. I wouldn't call Todd one of his, one of his. Well, uh, you know, prime influences. It's sort of more of an osmosis thing, I think, or, or you know, a grand, like a grand influence. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, he's, you know, he's much more influenced by the Beatles and the Beach Boys. Uh, but you know, it all comes from that same melodic place, that same, you know, the melodies, which is, you know, we we, it's something that's uh, that's that's in short supply. Oh, definitely. Nowadays, it certainly is. Yeah. 
certainly. That's why I've had so much fun lately listening to, to you know, the Bourgeois Tag CDs. I've been really enjoying because it's just it's just good music. It it just is. Yeah. So you don't have to really think about it. You can just snap your fingers or sing along and and know that you've had a good time. Uh huh. Yeah. Well, that's me. So, Roger, you got anything else? I think I'll let someone else take uh, the helm for a little bit. Okay. Well, good thanks, to talk Roger. to you, Brent. It's, uh, it was good to see you, and uh, and good to talk to you. All right. See you later. All right. All right, everybody. The uh, I should have given the guest call-in number earlier, and I fell down on the job. So it's area code 646-716-9262. We've got Brent for only about 30 more minutes, so if you've got that question that you're not going to be able to go to bed, if if you don't hear the answer, you better start calling now. And meanwhile, you got to listen to me ask the questions, and I'm sure that it's way better if you ask the questions. Um, let me ask you, uh, a- after you guys record, well, first, I- I've always wondered, how did you guys hook up with Todd in the first place as a producer? Well, our first album uh, although I, I wouldn't call it a great success it was successful enough that it got a lot of attention in the industry probably beyond its sales it was a, it was an industry record mm-hmm. uh, if you know what that means <laughs> like the critics liked it the people in the music business liked it um, a lot of musicians a lot of recording artists liked it um, it was just that pesky public that didn't <laughs> but anyway, it was successful enough that when we came, when it came time to start thinking about our second record, we were in a pretty good position to to um, have a have a nice choice of producers because because the music community had embraced the record and they liked it. And so, um, you know, we were all Todd Rundgren fans, you know, anyway. And he lived in the Bay Area. He was living in Sausalito. And uh, our managers were Bill Graham Management, who's just across the bay in San Francisco. And um, his name uh, was was on a list of, of of producers that were possible, you know, to to, to sound out. And and you know, our we all kind of went right right to that one. And uh, um, and it and it was it seemed to be relatively simple because. Because I think partially because of the proximity of him to us, and uh, you know, it didn't require a you know three thousand mile trek somewhere. And, um, so um, you know, it, it was it was. I don't remember it being much of a of a, of a struggle. Once we decided we that's who we wanted, it didn't seem to take too long for that to happen. Um, I think he recognized in us a level of musicianship that that he could work with easily, you know, and some kind of a fresh sound uh, that would work. And, you know, I'm sure that there's a bit of, at that, of, of you know, seeing a little of, of, of himself in us. Um, yeah. That, that I'm sure is convenient because it, you know, uh, it makes his job easier. Well, he did, you guys didn't know in did any of you guys know him personally before that? No, no. But we were, like I said, we knew, you know, we probably could have played a, played an album's worth of his songs, you know, by, which we ended up doing. But, uh, 
Yeah, that's just it. As you said, he recognized that you guys were good musicians, and he certainly did. He asked you to play on his next record, which was Nearly Human. Right. And not only that, but then uh, most of the band ended up being his band um, for for a while. Well, but you didn't you didn't tour with them. I did not because at that time I had signed a solo deal with Virgin. Right. So well, why don't I played we on the record. That? I played on the record, and then and then I had to go do my first record when you went out and toured. I was I was recording. So, uh, but uh, you know. I, I think it was a it was a tribute to the musicianship of the other guys that he took that he you know he basically took the band with him. Of course, of course, always hire the competition. <laughs> you know, always. So, uh, did you do your solo albums in California, or did you do that in Nashville? It's, I'm kind of unclear on that. No, I did uh, my first solo record down in L.A. with Danny Korchmar and. Uh, and a guy named David Holman, who did the Bush, first Bourgeois Tag album. Oh, okay. So I did half of it with, with uh, uh, Danny Korchmar, and the other half was sort of self-produced with the engineer David Holman. So, okay. And, and you, then the you second had... record I did, I did in Nashville. I hadn't moved there yet, but I did it I did it partially in Nashville and partially in Sausalito. I did it, used a Nashville producer, actually transplanted New Yorker, uh, but uh, um, you know, at that time, at that moment, it's it's kind of interesting to think about it. But I had no idea that I was going to be moving to Nashville, and it had nothing really to do with that album. It just was a coincidence that that uh, that that album was produced by a guy who lived in Nashville. So I ended up spending time there, and uh, uh, but the move to Nashville was was later and uh, kind of another another thing. Another chapter. Yeah, yeah. Ah, well, apparently some other musicians thought that uh, you were capable enough that they appeared on your very first solo record, and that was Christine McVie and Randy Jackson from American Idol fame. Yeah, yeah, much later from American Idol. Um, Randy Jackson was was uh, from, you know, it's kind of a Bay Area bass player. I mean, that's how we all knew him. Uh, oh, okay. okay. He was a guy that was around and and had. Uh, had played on a lot of local kind of things. He was always really good, and and, uh, and a friend of several. You know, he knew a lot of people that we have a lot of old friends in common, and Charlie Peacock and people like that. And he, you know, I, I that was easy. That was an easy call there because then uh, um, him and Steve Jordan, who at that time was was the drummer on David Letterman. Um, that was a great rhythm section. Well, tell us about the story of Christine McVie from Fleetwood Mac singing back up. Oh, near. you know that that was fabulous because they were in the studio at um, in West Hollywood, um, George Massenberg's studio. They were mixing uh, probably one of their last records that they all did together. And what was funny is that in the time it took me to record and complete half of an album they probably mixed two songs oh, Fleetwood Mac about, yeah think about that for me um, yeah. so I did six songs from, from beginning to end including mixing and, and they they were mixing two songs so needless to say they had a lot of time on their hands they were in a, you know they were in down the hall in this other room and they when, when you're in the mix mode 
it's a whole lot of sitting around and doing nothing, waiting for the engineer to call you in and listen to something. That's what that's what it's like. I mean, most people these days don't even show up. I mean, they till they're called, you know, on the phone. Hey, come on down. But they have. I don't. You know, I'm not sure. Maybe they needed to. Maybe they were on call there because they uh, because they needed to fix parts or something. I'm not sure. But in, in any event, they were all there uh, most of the time. And inevitably, you know, you start mingling in in the lounges and in the halls. And I had a song called "Can't Feel the Pain." that I would uh, promise you to this day that when I first started writing it and I did the demo, that the high harmony in that song was was written with Christine McVie in mind. I mean, having no idea in my life that I would be singer or much less uh, having her on the record. But, um, you know, my, my kind of, my falsetto sort of kind of sounds like her voice. And uh, when I wrote that, it was very, very similar. Um, and I thought of her. And so when we were there and I and I realized that she was down the hall, I made sure that there was a moment or two that we would be playing that song when she was walking down the hall. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, I did. I, I really finagled it so that, you know, she heard it several times. And at one point she popped her head in and said, well, what's that song? It's lovely. You know, and I said, "This is your song. You are going to sing on this if you would be so kind, because it's written with you in mind." And she did, and and uh, you know, uh, it seemed really easy at the time. And all, you know, Rick Vito played uh, slide guitar on a couple of songs, and you know, if you're just sitting around, if, when you have, it's like kind of having a captive audience. Um, and that you know, there's another uh, another story that's very similar to that. And when I was producing the song I, I sent you, uh, the only thing I need. Mm. Oh yeah, John Anderson. And I'm playing that because that's yeah. a great song. Yeah, well, see, it's a similar story. He was at the same studio we were when we were recording that record, and he was just there. And and that whole intro and that whole melody that he sings was was you know I had been thinking of him all along without having any idea that I was going to be, you know, 20 feet away from him in another studio. I had no idea. Um, and it just happened, just happened. Um, and he was there, and I kind of, you know, I, 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 I'll always do something like that. You know, people say, oh, you can't ask him to do that. Why not? Let's just, you know, especially it was kind of funny because it was a Christian record, and he's kind of the world's foremost New Age kind of guy, you know. Yeah. Um, and so, but you know what? I I I happen to believe that uh, that you know, that was a wonderful uh, wonderful meshing of of people, and that's kind of what that thing was all about. So. Oh well, I'm definitely planning on playing that song because it's I, I've been blown away by it. It's beautiful. Now, did you pl- play on that song, or did you uh, write and or? I wrote it and produced it and played piano on it. Um, uh, yeah, the, that that whole record is kind of a. I produced it. I was the A and R uh, guy at Word Records at that time, and it was a uh, uh, myself and my boss Lauren Ballman. He had the idea for the record, that, for a record that was about healing, uh, kind of loosely based on this this uh, Christian text, um, and 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 putting together. Um, Christian artists with secular artists uh, on the same songs. And, oh, and, okay, okay. And so, 
So we had Michael McDonald um, with, uh, with Moya Brennan from Clannad. Uh, she's uh, um, you know the Irish singer, that, and we did "Don't Give Up" from Peter Gabriel. And, um, you know, I wrote a, a number of songs for that. That's my, still, I think, my favorite production. And that was from Streams. Yes. Okay. And how do you go about getting that record? I tried to figure that out on Amazon or something, but I, I couldn't find it. You know, I would I would think that that's not too hard to find. I mean, I would think that um, um, you know you might have to go to to some some Christian website, which you know it's kind of a parallel universe. <laughs> it, it's really funny. I mean, it it really is. It's it's a it's its own world, but uh, I think uh, the internet brings us all together. Uh, but I would still think that that album sold enough that it would be available in, uh, at any number of places. It was a pretty successful uh, record, um, and uh, and so you know I haven't tried. You know I honestly can't tell you uh, that I've tried to find it because I've never had to. But but. Uh, I would really think that you could, that it wouldn't be hard to find. Okay, well, uh, maybe I need to type in something like multiple artists or something like that. Compilation, or I mean, I, I, you know, I've never looked for it on stream, on uh, iTunes, but, uh, but you know, I know it was there at one time. Okay, uh, well, I'll look there. I Actually, I didn't look there, so. And Word Records, you know, I'm sure it's uh, Word Word Entertainment or something, or and and there are all sorts of Christian sites that. You know, if you want to laugh, you could go to them anyway. I mean, yeah. <laughs> now listen, of... listen. Now, I, I, I do have a caller, but um, I think I've got. He, he just sent me a text message. I've got permission to keep talking to you. Um, I do. We've only got 14 minutes, but I, I do want to know what. How did you transition from pop music to going over to contemporary Christian music? If you want to put that into a little short story. Yeah, well, first of all, the, the the terms music, the music never changed. <laughs> it's right, kind of it's a misnomer good. to call it, you know, Christian music. Um, it's, it's Christian lyrics, really. I mean, that's what the only thing that ever changed. In fact, in, fact, in, in sort of uh, weird ways, the Christian music that I did was actually more diverse and more freeing than than in the pop world. I, I you know I, at least when I was doing it, I was able to be to use more uh, more different styles, kind of experiment, as long as the lyric was of a certain type, and that's what really the the difference is. Well, I've is heard that, you. I've heard you. Uh, you were in, quoted in an interview as talking about. The difference between overt lyrics and allegorical lyrics, and that that's really yeah. what makes it Christian music versus mainstream music. Kind of, yeah. But but I mean, and 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 well, it's a sub. You can break down Christian music to overt lyrics and allegorical lyrics. I mean, the, there are the 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 Y O U that can mean, you know, all kinds of things. It can either mean a relationship or it can mean God. Depends on you know capitalized. <laughs> Or him capitalized mm -hmm. versus not, um, you know, and and you know, I it's a long story, but in the, within the Christian music genre, especially when I was there, there was a whole lot of trying to be.
be as poppy as you could be and skirt the edges of what was appropriate or what was acceptable to a certain audience while trying to be sort of as hip as you could be and uh, and sort of mush it all so that it wasn't too overt um, so that it would play on Main Street, you know. Um, and really, really, uh, the, the, I think the, the industry itself was fooling itself, and um, I'm not, I have really nothing to do with it anymore. And I think it's really kind of taken a step back to where it was, which I think is a good thing, which is, you know, writing, mu- you know, writing, writing music by, by Christians, for Christians, for the edification of, of Christians, and not trying to be something that it's not. Um, I think those Christians that are talented enough and, and bright enough and have the have the wherewithal to want to do truly do music in the mainstream should do that. Should should just do it and not try to sort of do a uh, sort of a you know one foot in in, in both ponds kind of thing. It doesn't really work. Um, you know, if you if you want to do pop music, do pop music. Go out there and and and, and compete against the best. Well, you don't um, you don't think artists like Michael W. Smith and, and Amy Grant have been able to cross over a little bit? Well, Amy Grant did, and she's the best example and the one that everyone else chased after. Um, it's because of Amy Grant that it was even possible to think of. Before Amy Grant, it wasn't even a thought. But Amy Grant got successful doing it, and so it it opened up a very large can of worms. Some of it was successful, and most of it wasn't. Um, even Michael W. Smith, he he had a a pretty large thing, one pretty large hit uh, in the mainstream. But it was it was totally the the uh, act of one very strong uh, person in the record company um, that guided that through. And that got that to happen, and and it never really happened for him again. And he was chasing that thing for a long time, you know. And it's happened occasionally, like this, uh, you know, this guy Bob Carlyle did Butterfly Kisses a couple of years ago. He came from nowhere. That song was a huge hit, and then he went back to nowhere, you know. Uh, and it does happen, and it usually happens when you're not trying to make it happen. Most attempts I've seen that try. You know, of the Christian in the Christian music world, conscious attempts to have a secular mainstream hit or try to have it both ways, it doesn't work. So it's, it doesn't it's work. kind of like um, you know Leanne Rhymes trying to cross from country into rock and roll or something like that. Yeah, well, yeah, you know, I think it's a good that's a good a good example is is people in the pop world trying to do country. You know, it, it might work once in a while, but most true country fans can see through it for what it is. You can't make it in the pop world so you're trying to go country. And um, with, the, with the Christian thing, it's even more complicated than that because the true Christian market is very, um, you know, doesn't really want compromise. They don't really want their lyrics to be mushied out so that uh, they want to hear about God and Jesus and say the name, you know, and, right. and hear about that in their words. And, you know, they smell a rat, too. <laughs> I get it. I get it. I get it. Well, listen, I mentioned Michael W. Smith a, a couple of minutes ago, and I know you did uh, some work with him. And he, I did quite a bit of work with him, yes. Yeah. Uh, were you guys writing partners? Yes. We, I wrote about, I don't know, maybe 15 songs with him, including 
you know, two one one song that was the uh, that was the the, uh, the uh, sort of uh, the name of a tour. It was like the lead song on a Live the Life, um, and another one uh, which was uh, Cry for Love, which was the song of the year in the Christian music world in 1998, something like that. Um, we had quite a bit of success, and we also wrote a song for Martina McBride. Uh, yeah, I saw that. Um, which which was really nice. Um, so we did quite a bit. I was his music director for a year on the road with him. So you actually uh, toured with him? Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. I've got a, the, uh, I've got a, I've got some funny uh, my stupid funny question, and I have to ask it because there's only a couple more minutes that we've got you. Um, I don't know if you listened to any of the back shows that I might have sent to you, but I want you to compare your time touring with Uncle Rainbow, Bourgeois Tag, your solo career, Michael W. Smith, and anyone else that you might have toured with. And I want to know, how did you do your laundry when you were on the road? (laughs) That's funny. Um, (laughs) I'm serious. Well... You, you know, it, it, it depends on how you travel. Um, in the case of, uh, of uh, with, with Bourgeois Tag, with Uncle Rainbow, we weren't really touring as much as we would spend. Uh, we would spend uh, sometimes spend a week in a city, some you know. And uh, it was more. We were more of a high, a high endy local band, you know. Uh, uh, but Bourgeois Tag is where the touring began, and and you know, uh, I think you'd. Uh, you try to go as long as you could, and that you know that seventh day off, you know, if you were, if you were, uh, if you were uh, a, a, care, a caring person about the rest of the people around you, you try to find a, a laundromat somewhere. Um, what, what's funny is, is that when you're in the beginning of touring, you don't really have a whole lot of uh, gig clothes that you bring. Um, you bring kind of the minimum that you can that you can get away with. And you try to wear them every night, you know, or the same, and you end up wearing kind of the same thing or same two things every night. And those clothes get very, very skanky. <laughs> yeah. The rest of your clothes, I mean, your your everyday clothes actually are better because you do go to the laundromat and stuff. But usually the clothes that you wear on stage, they can't be uh, cleaned in a laundromat. And, you know, they can't be put in a, in a yeah. washing machine. And so... You know, and you can't really get them dry clean because you need them every night. Um, oh, what a pickle! So, so you know, you just it 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 gets it, it by the end of a tour, these things kind of stand up on their own, and they you know, and it's something that you you you, you just can't really ever wear again <laughs> because it's just terrible, you know, and then. Uh, you know, it kind of depends on the uh, the era too, because as things changed in music and so the era, things got more casual. You know, kind of the the, the Nirvana effect, the Seattle effect. Yeah, not came in. and things like that. So, so you know, instead of so it was kind of kind of cool to dress down. Started becoming cooler to dress down, and in that case, it became easier because. Then you could wear stuff that you could put in the laundry. <laughs> yeah, it was just pretty much your street clothes. Right, you walk in just whatever you're wearing, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so. <laughs> well, tell me, tell me what the difference was, um, or, or do you have any funny ro- road stories about touring with 
with Bourgeois Tag versus touring with Michael W. Smith. I mean, is, well, you know, is it all sunshine and rainbows with Michael W. Smith? The, the, the big difference, uh, there's a couple of differences, but the big difference is being an opening act in a, in, and it's not just with Michael W. Smith, but in, in the in the two genres. Opening acts in the secular world, um, especially ones that people aren't real familiar with, um, really it's a tough life. It's a tough job. You get out there and people are just, it can be brutal, especially in the overseas. You know, they really want to get to the headliner and they could care less about you. And sometimes it's, it's you know, it can be almost violent, you know. Um, but, and in Christian music, it's exactly the opposite. Like, you know, I don't, that could be a big study on this, but you go and play, and even if nobody knows who you are, people just love you. They, they're very forgiving of anything that goes wrong, and it's almost sickening the other in the other direction. You almost wish that they would be more discerning, because you can't tell when you've had a good night or a bad night, because people just love everything. So, uh-huh. um, so it's, it's, it's very different, you know, and, uh, and, but the funny thing about, touring with Bourgeois Tag was, I don't mind at all with the big dividing line, and we would go, when we were on tour, like say with Heart, I think we were on, on tour with Heart when that song be, began to be a hit, and the first, I don't know, 15, 20 dates were kind of tough, were tough, because they, people did not know who we were, and it was just, you know, get the Wilson sisters up there, get out of here, you know, beer bottles going by your head, <laughs> but as that song became a hit, it changed just almost literally almost overnight when people started knowing that song. But the thing was, people knew the song far better than they knew who did the song. You know, they, they would recognize the song, but they still weren't clear about who it was. So we faced a dilemma as an opening act of you want to play your best song last, but you got to play it fast because soon, because people will, won't, you you know they won't be around to listen to your last song. Right, they'll go get a coke or a beer. So after we used to have to, and especially when we went over to England, we had to play it twice. <laughs> we played it. We play like a truncated version of it first, kind of like the time for talking's over now. We're the guys who do this song. <laughs> like start the thing, like don't kill us. That's the word. We're these guys. And then we play our set, and then we'd end with it. Ah. Well, that's kind of what we're doing tonight because I only played like 30 seconds at the beginning, yeah. and of course yeah, I'm going to exactly play later what we, on. That's exactly what we used to do. See, and, and see, it's probably for for when it gets down to it, it's probably for the same reason, because people go, "Oh, yeah, I recognize that song. That was that guy." You know, right? <laughs> the same thing. Oh, that's 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 sort of sad because you guys really really were a good band, and I yeah. remember you guys seeing seeing you on MTV back in the day when they actually. And uh, actually, I had no idea you had any kind of tie with Todd Rundgren until maybe maybe five or ten years ago. So. Yeah. You know what? I am going to have to go. I'm oh, just... my. Well, I am sad, but um, you know what? We might have to get you on again. I would be happy to. I would be more than happy to, but I see that my meeting is being called right now. Well, I got the good stuff out of you. That's That's all I care about. Well, good. All right. Well, we'll talk later. Well, thank you so much, Melinda. All right. Well, it was good to meet you, Brent, and uh, uh, we'll try to get you again. Call me anytime. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks. All right, everybody. Well, I've never had to rush through something so fast in my life, but uh, 
that was the abbreviated version of my interview with Mr. Bourgeois. And I think I've got Doug on the line. Doug, are you listening? I'm listening. I'm <gasps> chatting. I'm listening. I'm doing it all. I'm exhausted. Multitasking. <gasps> he did fine. Everything was great. He, uh, I wish he could stay longer because there's, you know, a lot of stuff that he's into that we could have got, uh, you know, had some conversation with him. But, you know, what are you going to do? Yeah, I think I think he might actually be worth getting on again. We might have to have get get our own little bourgeois tag reunion going and get them all on the show and Urbano and everybody. Yeah, he um he turned 50 last month, by the way. I know, I'm sorry I didn't get around to asking your or yeah, asking your question or Mike B's. I'm so uh, sorry. I find it interesting he's 10 years younger than Todd and they were touring together. I bet that was kind of I wonder what that's like, you know, when you're that much younger and and you're I guess, for lack of a better term, not touring, I'm sorry, doing the album. I guess Todd's his, his boss since it's Todd's album. I wonder how that dynamic works. But I was going to talk to him a little bit about some of his political, religious stuff. But yeah, I wanted to do too. So. <laughs> that would have changed the mood a little bit too much, I think. Yeah, I saw your comment in the in the chat room. <laughs> well, that that actually wasn't my question. What I was interested in, he's got a... He's got a uh, essay on Christian bookstores where he walked in and was upset because there were so many right-wing books. But well, duh. political beliefs are, are right-wing. I mean, they're more conservative than liberal. So uh, it begs the question, you know, how far does he think uh, – what kind of role, I guess, would be a better question. What kind of role does religion play in politics, if any? Because this election is going to, of course, you know – the Despite the fact that Obama's not a Muslim, that's going to become a, a hot topic, and people the religion is going to be a big part of this election, I think, when it's all said and done. And it's always interesting to find out what people think. You know, where does the, how far can you go with it? You know, how much should it play a role in politics, if at all? And it'd be interesting to get his take on it because he, he, uh, you know, he's he's well versed in it. I guess he really researches it and is into it. And it is a, an interesting essay because you do wonder sometimes why some of these books are in those stores. Uh, if you ever been in one, it's, you know, who's to say that's the proper book in there? So anyway, it was an interesting little thing. Y'all can check it out on his – he's got a website, com. He's got a couple of essays on there that are interesting reads. So anyway, why don't we talk about some announcements? I guess we could do that. I guess we could do that. Um, you want to go or you want me to go? Well, why don't you talk about the tours and I'll talk about the future shows. How about that? I think that's a great idea. Thank you, Doug. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, unfortunately, our our Mr. Todd's only got a couple of of shows left on this leg. I'm going to say this leg because I know there's going to be many, many other legs to the arena tour. But uh, I believe there's a show Friday, and I'm not sure, probably within a day or two of that. So if you... Were, had any kind of questions about going to see a Todd Rundgren show, just go buy your tickets and go to the show because it's so worth it. It's great. So check it out. Yeah, and you can find out where those shows are and about ticket information on the MySpace, myspace.com slash Todd Rundgren Music or on the trconnection.com, our, our sweet Roger, his great site. Uh, also, oh, well, Todd's getting ready to start up a, a whole different side of himself, the Sgt. Pepper tour, right? Yes, and he's also, of course, going to be in Europe, so we don't want to diss on our listeners from there because they'll be getting up tomorrow and listening. Uh, so he'll be there in November overseas, so 
they get some of the tour too. So if you want to, you can fly over there and, and spend your your dollars worth about forty five cents over there. <laughs> but uh, so I'd recommend you go somewhere in the United States. But the Sergeant Pepper's deal, the information is available at trconnection.com on the concert and tour information. It's not available on the MySpace because it's not a Todd-based thing necessarily. It's a um, multitude of artists, and it should be pretty interesting. See, it's like it's like that multiple artists thing. Like I couldn't find that streams CD. I was having difficulty finding that because you can't just put in a certain artist all the time. It's just uh, so maddening. Yeah. By the way, we're gonna have to. Everybody stick around if you want. You can call in, too, if you like. We'll be talking about a few things, but Mel will play some of that music. We don't want to play it while he was on because it would have been an issue with, you know, taking time from the interview. So uh, yeah, but I definitely around. heard the song y'all kept talking about. I was in yeah, there. hang around because I've actually got, um, I think, three or four really good songs that some people may not have heard because some of the Rent Bourgeois stuff is is not out in print any longer. And... Uh, you know, also some of us potheads may not have heard some of the Christian stuff, and you just might be surprised because it's there's some there's that one he was talking about with John Anderson from Yes. It's mm-hmm. phenomenal. Tommy Z's got a song with John Anderson of Yes on his See, CD. It's, everything's all that. CDbaby.com. Yay, Tommy. Yay. But you know, it's um, there's some really good stuff. Um, from that, uh, from Christian music, you know, good sounding music, I think, a few songs. Uh, and some well, of them you, you made the way to the pop to side. Yeah. The way he was talking, you know, about the overt versus allegorical lyrics, mm-hmm. you know, you can listen to a, a contemporary Christian song and where they say, you know, I love you with a capital Y, you know, all you got to do is think that that's your girlfriend or your <laughs> Or you can think it's God if you're Christian. You can think it's God, and it's yeah. still a good song. Yeah, there's one called Still Listening. Stephen Curtis Chapman has It's a really good song. Uh, it could make it on pop, I think, but they I don't know if it ever did. And then, the, of course, he, he mentioned the, a couple, there was there's another one that was huge last year. I can't remember the name of it that um, was a uh, a big hit. But anyway, I digress. The uh, i got a question for you. All right. People, I'm reading the reviews. And people, especially Dustin29, are really digging Rachel Hayden. Uh-oh. And I like her as well. It's just kind of fun because she's kind of, it's kind of innocent looking, and she's kind of looks like she's overwhelmed, and she's just excited to be there, like this is the biggest thing she's ever done. And it may, may not be, I don't know. But she, it's got that feel to it, you know, like you just can tell she's having a good time and she enjoys being there, but she takes it very seriously. You get a combination of those. What do you think is going to happen when Chasm quits touring with Meatloaf? Oh, that's the question for me? That's the question for you. You know, I don't know. I really don't know. Um, I need to compare calendars because I do know that Meatloaf has, I think originally he had said he was not going to do any touring in the States once he finished this, this tour that he's doing in Europe right now. But last thing I saw, which was several days ago, He's already booking some gigs, so, you know, you guys could actually see Rachel for quite a while, or Todd might just hang on to Rachel and tell Chasm, so sorry, you know. Sorry, Charlie. <laughs> if you want to weigh in on this debate, 646-716-9262. I mean, it, it's going to be a tough call if, if Chasm's available. That's the first thing that has to happen, because this is kind of becoming like the arena band, you know, these these folks. And you got, I think the Rachel and Matt moves were kind of a youth movement. And uh, I think it's working, and I think it's cool. 
I think it is too. Really it would change the diet. It, it really would change a bit if mm-hmm. Chasm came back. But um, you know, Chasm <laughs> may not want to be playing this kind of music. I don't know. Yeah, he may not. That's a good point. The big it's part that would change is there'd be more girls on the right side than there are right now. <laughs> it has kind of evened things up, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know yeah. I have no trouble getting to that right side anymore. Yeah, it's a little bit easier, isn't it? <laughs> well, at least no girls are pulling my hair, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, no uh, cat fights and stuff going on. I kind of miss that. Maybe there'll be some guy fights over Rachel. Maybe Dustin will get a fight with somebody. Yeah, I heard I yeah. heard something about that. He got he's a little... He's in love. Yeah, he's in love. Out. Adam Ellis may be listening. You know, he's been on the show. <laughs> I know. Hi, Adam. <laughs> What's up, Adam? All right, so uh, let's talk about future running radio shows, shall we? Well, no, 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 no. Uh-oh. I got one uh, more thing. Did it out. One more thing about, about Todd tour dates. I know that the Annapolis show was, like, announced two days ago, and tickets went on sale, like, yesterday, and it's pretty much almost sold out. So you've got you people all around the D.C. area, Maryland and Virginia and everything, you better get your tickets, better get them now, December 30th. Be there. It's going to be at the Ram's Head. It's going to be in the smaller room. Apparently there's two. It's 250 people, intimate setting. It's all tables. And almost all the tables are gone, I believe, already. So you got to go to the Ram's Head site to bomb. I don't think it's on Ticketmaster or anything like that. So just do a Google search if you don't know, Ram's Head, um, Maryland, or Annapolis, whatever you want to do. And that is going to be, I'm sure, an awesome show. There was an excellent bootleg from the show there last year. Yeah, yeah. Somebody did. I remember that. The I'm trying to figure out how, how people are going to be able to sit down at that show, though. Yeah, it is going to be different. I mean, maybe that's just going to be a place to to hold your beer, you know, Ooh. or Coca-Cola or whatever you drink, whatever you do. Yeah. yeah, or Dustin, if he goes to the show, he could stand up on a table and do a table dance for Rachel. <laughs> In his gold thong from Hawaii. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Lord, here we go. All right, so we definitely got to move on now. All right, your turn. Okay, here we go. Next week. August the 5th, which is a Tuesday night, 7.30 Central, 8.30 Eastern Time, which would be 5.30 West Coast Time, I believe, for the Californians. we got special guests Rachel Culp and Danny O'Connor. Rachel, of course, is the daughter of Robert Culp, the actor. If you don't know who he is, do a Google and you'll figure it out real quick. Uh, They are a married couple. Rachel is... Semi-famous, I guess, for making some wild clothes for Todd in the tubes and some other folks. New cars. If you saw Todd in any outrageous outfits during the new cars, the black and white things, typically, Rachel made those. And Danny was a photographer, or still is, and a web designer now, but for five years he toured with Todd. He was in charge of the uh, merchandise designs, so like T-shirts and whatnot. And he also was involved in the album covers for Back to the Bars and uh, Adventures in Utopia. So some of his work is on there. I'm sure he's probably credited, Danny O'Connor. They were also Todd Stock participants. So you Todd Stockers, if you met them, you may want to call in and say hello. We're going to try. It's going to be the first time I think we've had. Now you tell me that we've had two guests on at one time. Uh, you've had you had Jesse and Mary Lou on at the same time. Well, that was just for a few minutes. That wasn't planned. But it involved a bullhorn. In yeah, show. exactly. That's when Jesse bogarted the show. <laughs> that was his hand to say, all right, you've had her on long enough. It's time to mm-hmm. shut up. Because I did keep her on for a while. But uh, that was nice of her to do that, too. 
So we, um, we'll we try this, you know, married couple, see how it goes and see which one I'm going to talk the most. But Danny has promised, so get this, if you don't really care about clothes and photography or whatever, he has promised great road stories about Todd on the show next week. And he looks like the kind of guy that really would uh, tell them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. He's definitely got the rock and roller look, and uh, he's definitely friends with Todd. He was up in the house the whole time, and he will be on this show next week at 8.30 Eastern Time, 8.05. That's Tuesday, uh, August the 5th, so do not miss it. We will have a lot of fun with those two. It's going to be a good time. Good. And what about the next week after that? Hmm. We're going to have another photographer. We're going to have Ed McCarthy on, longtime photographer for Todd, and he was a recommendation from Billy James, who wrote A Dream Goes On Forever, the continuing story of Todd Rungard. So Billy has talked to him about Todd a lot, so he must know that Ed knows a lot of stuff. So we'll probably be talking about Todd a lot for that show, which is good. And if you think photographers doesn't excite you, you think it's boring, you are wrong. You can go back and listen to Jean Lannon. The show we had her on, she was fantastic. She's yeah. cool too, man. She was at Todd Stock. You gotta love Jean Lannon. She's been at a few shows too. I've heard some, you know, people partying with her at a couple shows. She's a scream. Gotta love her. Well, she. I, I have to tell you, I. I know we can't tell how we know this to the people that, that weren't <laughs> there, but um, looking through the Todd Stock photo album, the secret album. I've never seen a photographer be photographed more than she has. <laughs> Everyone took a picture of her. Yeah. Well, you know, photographers never get their picture taken unless, you know, by, them, by themselves at, you know, gigs and whatnot. But, yeah, she was around for that. She probably hates it. I don't know. You never know. But I got a few good ones of her. Taking hey, you, one of, I got a really good one of her taking a picture of Nikki where she was trying to get him that crazy. But, yeah. You know, yeah. I, I don't know what the deal is. We should have asked Michelle in Texas. I don't know when they're going to make a public album. I think they're just too busy to mess with it right now. I think so, too. I, w- I was sort of hoping that some of those photos would end up on the DVD, but if they're holding up the DVD for photos, then I, I- my vote would be say no. Well, I don't know anything about the DVD for Hawaii now. I don't know if they're mixing it in with the, with the uh, Colorado DVD or not. I haven't heard any rumblings about what's going to go on with that DVD from Hawaii, and I just hope it came out okay because, you know, one of the cameras dropped in the water, and I think, you know, I've heard that everything was okay with the filming part, but the cameras were pretty much messed up. So. Yeah, well, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. But they were filming it for some reason, you know. Yeah. Quite sophisticated. Well, it was supposed to be DVD, I and mean, that's why they didn't want anybody to put pictures up was one of the reasons because they were going to try to, you know, sell it and make a little dough. Yeah. You gotta love that. I don't know. All I know is I gotta get me some Todd. I need some new Todd. <laughs> they need to bring it out. What is the latest on do you happen to know the latest on even an electronic release? That's a good question. And I tried to get the answer today. As a matter of fact, um had somebody trying to call the record company to get the answer and uh they didn't take the call and I really don't know what's holding it up. The only thing I can think of is they must be in negotiations maybe for an exclusive or something maybe, like iTunes or Starbucks, as we used to talk about, or I don't know. I mean, maybe there's some kind of deal going on where they need to, um, you know, maybe they can get some money up front and put it exclusive on something. That's my, right. I, I can't, because otherwise, I mean, it's ready. I mean, we, we've heard that, you know, it's everything's done. So I don't know 
why they would be holding up. Or maybe they're just trying to give us a lot of foreplay with these concerts, and <laughs> you know, <laughs> they're going to wait till they're over, and then you can buy it. But you know, we were told by Lynn last week that it was wasn't even funny. It was coming out so close. It's not even funny. Was yeah. the quote, and I guess um, the last laugh may be on her because I don't know when it's going to be out. And maybe tomorrow because we were thinking July, and that's what we kept hearing. But tell you what, we do know the CD's coming out in September. We do know that uh, it's supposed to be packaged with a DVD from Colorado, which could be a mix of other stuff. I don't know. And what's unclear, they have announced that there's going to be an EP included in that bundle of Todd doing Robert Johnson songs. But I don't see how he's going to pull that off. He would have to do that in um, one month would be about all he would have. And that would be September because he's uh, in Europe in November, right? Uh, Yeah. So gives him October. Well, that yeah. doesn't matter because September's right around the corner. I'm thinking of August. So what's going on in August? Oh, August, August he's doing the Sergeant Pepper's, a lot of that. So, you know, he would have to do it in September. Now, if he just blatantly covered them, he could probably do that in a day. But if he's planning on redoing them a little bit and mixing it up, then that's a whole new ball game. But Robert Johnson, if you don't know, is a blues musician who died at the age of 27 and is considered the godfather of rock and roll and is in the Hall of Fame. I guess the Blues Hall of Fame. I'm not sure if it's the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But he's, uh, his, the song most people know is Crossroads. It's been covered by Cream, Rush, several bands have, have uh, and solo artists have taken some of his music and mixed it up or just blatantly covered it. You know, depends on the deal. So it'll be interesting to see what Todd does with it, if he does anything at that time. If not, I guess he'll have to just do it later. Ooh, I vote for a little bit later. I, like I get a vote. Yeah. Darnell says a day. She doesn't believe it. All right, now you're going to tell me that Todd couldn't sit down and learn four to five songs of Robert Johnson's. He probably already knows them, and, and knock it out in a day. Yes, he could. But Absolutely. You, know, you, think, you think about all the, uh, you know, all the mixing and mastering. Well, that's not his problem. That's somebody else does that. But he likes to do it. Um, he doesn't do the final. I don't think. No. And he might not. You know, it just depends. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what he thinks about Robert Johnson. I mean, who knows? Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure he admires the guy and, and realizes where he where he's coming from. And I mean, he sort of was cutting edge for back then. Mm-hmm. So, oh, Roger says the last tour date is Saturday for Arena. He thinks it may be released after that, and that could be the case. That could, so that could be what it is. I mean, maybe they're waiting for that. I don't know what the logic is behind that, but you know. Well, I, I don't we'll know, about, know. I don't know about electronic releases, but I do know most. If if something comes out on a CD, it comes out usually on Tuesdays. So maybe we need to start looking towards Tuesday. So. Sure. Well, if everybody's got a. Money burn a hole in their pocket. Go buy Tommy Z's CD at CD Baby, or Hunt and Tony Sales at Perseverance Records. <laughs> How about that? Where is my Sales Brothers CD? I don't hmm. know. They went to get it autographed, I guess. Hmm. They must Darnell, be yours autograph? Oh, paragraph. Yeah, mine better be. Ask, let's see, Darnell, can you tell us if yours is autographed? She got hers. Okay, Darnell's getting all technical because she sells guitar strings. She thinks she's going to tell me how long Todd takes to mix an album. Ha! Whatever. Oh. Won't you call in and tell us? Scared. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right, so Roger says the logic may be that everyone should hear the live version first. Uh, I think they did after the 
<laughs> Oshkosh show, and then again after the Seattle show, and then again after the Austin show. Well, Which I Austin is the best one so far, don't you think? I still haven't heard the Austin one. Really? You I mean, I was there, but yeah, I haven't heard show. the show. Man, what a good show. What a good time. You know, I actually met that guy that did the taping that night. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good. Well, he seemed Darnie's like a really nice autographed, guy. by the way. Darnie's Hunt and Tony Sales album. But, you know, you take the Austin show and compare it to some of the early ones. It, there, to me, there was no doubt it was different, and they were getting you know more used to each other, I guess, for lack of a better term. Well, and, you know, if you're going to be in Buffalo uh, Friday night, I think, I mean, it's got to be even better than it was two weeks ago in Austin. Hmm. They're really, really gelling. I like it. I like this new music. I think this CD or album, whatever you want to call it, is going to be fantastic. Yeah. Uh Uh-oh. I think we got somebody from California that's calling. Donnell's calling the fight. All right. the ones. Let's see if we can get this person on. Who is this? It's me. Hello. Ah, Darnell. Okay, here's what I called to say. The CD was autographed. Yeah. And you can't, uh, the Robert Johnson thing, mm-hmm. an album's worth of tunes? No, it EP, was, baby, EP. Oh, four songs? Yeah. I don't know that he could uh, record it, sing it, and mix four songs in 24 hours. He doesn't have to mix it, though. He'd have somebody else do that, right? Yeah, you do. He has to mix it. All right. 48 hours will work for you? his own thing. What? Will 48 hours work? I'd say a day of tune, actually. Unless he's making it real, real simple, because if he's going to play everything himself. Yeah, because you'd have to do it. I mean, I don't think... Yeah, that's a good question. There's no day in September. I'm sorry, what? I was just—I was going to say—is he going to play everything himself, or will there be a band? Um, who knows? Nobody knows anything about this other than I'd say a day it. per song, maybe, and then a day or two to mix the songs. You could do maybe two songs a day. I worked in the studio for 14 years, so well, I there's no. <laughs> I was busting on you. All right, so there's no shows booked for September, right, of any sort for Todd. Or are there some I'm of aware of. Okay, so that's you know maybe that's going to be it. Do you have three three weeks maybe? You know. Yeah. On his laptop and in his laundry room or wherever it was in principle. Well, he could be working on it on his computer now. True. Yeah, he could do that in his hotel room. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Heinerkin has said he did six songs in three days on something anything, Miss Darnell. That was back when he was young. and <laughs> That's when he had a full band in there, too, and they were in Doogie's apartment or whatever it was. Yeah, right. <laughs> that, was when he was, that was his Ridland days. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, okay, Darnell, since I got you on here, you're a Todd Stalker. I'm starting to feel sorry for people who didn't go because every report I've seen at these shows, it's like this high school reunion. Like, oh, some Todd Stalkers were there, and all oh, the Todd Stalkers. So we got to kind of taper that down a little bit because, you know, we still love the folks who didn't get to go and some of the people that, you know, would have loved to have been there. So we got to. They're, they're all going to get to attend when they get the CD DVD combo. That's true. And then, then we can. Uh, and then we can all bond about we need to bond it. And then we, we can have sure a Podstock 2 reunion someplace. Yeah, we need to make sure we don't leave them out. That's all I'm trying to say, right? Yeah. Definitely. Because yeah. some they people can't help you know, it they if they could get, get off work and go. Families. What's that? So they couldn't help it if they couldn't get off and go. 
Yeah. Work. I just, you know. Yeah. Oh, bye, family. I'm leaving <laughs> for a week. Todd's calling, you know. Well, then you well I believe they're scared to fly. Well, they do that. <laughs> um, well, then you got uh, you got people who are scared to fly. Mm-hmm. And then you've got, you know, just different issues, like you said. Not everybody could be there. They were there in spirit, though, some people. We know Wendy was. Yes, indeed. And then there was reports every day from Rungan Radio. Exactly. Albeit they might be kind of lame, but they were there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but they'll so. get to enjoy it soon, so. Yeah. It's just, yeah. Hard, it's just hard when you're really impatient. We've been lucky enough to catch up a few shows and go to Todd Stock and do it all, so it's kind of like the people that didn't get to do anything, haven't seen a show, didn't get to go to Todd Stock, they must be like going, God, I'm sick about <laughs> hearing about this. Yeah, it's got to be. Okay, so let's go back to touring and concerts and stuff. A question for the ladies in the house. Did you like last year's Buffalo Grass Tour or this year's Mad Tour better? The shows that you've seen so far. That is not fair. (laughs) (laughs) There's no comparison. I think I like Arena better because it's new, fresh, and, you know, it's new and different. Mm -hmm. The Buffalo Grass Tour, he didn't do, he did all this. Usual. The only two songs, unless I'm missing something from the last tour that followed, or I saw the light and Black Mariah. Yeah, but everything else is all new. For 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 yeah, compared to last year, I'm saying new for Todd. Really but, yeah. old. Hmm. Open my eyes is really old than the encore stuff. Yeah, I loved it. Well, what I like is I was really hoping to see some kind of dance deal like they had at Worldwide Epiphany, and you get that now. And, couldn't I just tell you they all get into this knee kick thing? Mm-hmm. You know, um, I don't even know what. You, you know what, Doug? You're right. He doesn't. Do, he doesn't do the um, what I think of as the little Todd shuffle. He doesn't mm-hmm. do that. Yeah, they got that new thing though. I like it with Rachel, Jesse, and uh, Where they Matt do the getting into it. Kind of thing. Yeah, kick. that's not new. That goes way back. <laughs> you just haven't. Yeah. All right, I got to make a plug for TZCD because I keep hearing it's good from OC Sherry and Carrie said it's good, and I still haven't got it because I've been busy with these bobblehead toddleheads. Okay, it's called ZKG and it's available at CDBaby.com. Hook him up, man. It's got some yes on it, a little John Anderson song. Can't can't beat that. You know what I mean? Yep. Yep. All yep. right. So, y'all like this too? Well, Mel, you didn't answer. Well, no. I mean, I like them both, and and. I, I do miss Worldwide Epiphany. I do miss that, and I miss seeing Chasm on stage. I wish there could be two bass players because I love Rachel to pieces. She's fabulous, just fabulous. So I don't know. I, I, I don't want to vote on this. Okay. I'd kind of like to see a – I was listening to some Nearly Human Day, a little sax player. <laughs> yeah, let's get Bobby Strickland in there. Yeah. Okay, Dustin says that Todd did a spin at the end of just one victory when we – Yeah, I don't know if we saw that. Yeah, he did. Yeah, did he? Okay, cool. Well, he did a spin at the end of either Afraid or whatever came after Afraid in Dallas and then took a nice tumble by about six feet into the audience. <laughs> that was scary. It yeah. was, wasn't that it? Was Everything really went scary. silent. Yeah. Everything just went completely silent, and I remember looking at Jesse, and he had this look of horror on his face. Mm-hmm. But that was our pretty hero comes right up and did great after that. Yeah. Yep. I, I think one of the things too, and I mentioned this last week, that's really wild. 
or is really cool is just how, and Grady said, defined it this way, Todd feels comfortable in his skin. But you can just tell how they just seem to be having a good time. And they may be faking it. I don't care if they are. Keep it up because it seems to be fun and it's interactive and very, um, you know, crowd-oriented. And I think the last tour wasn't as much, you know. And it was, you know, it seemed to be, um, I don't know, a, a little rougher as far as, um, I, I don't mean that in a negative way, but it wasn't, you know, the kind of thing where you would want to raise your fist and sing along, that kind of stuff as much. Raise the roof and all that kind of craziness. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Mm, kind of. Okay. Like Mammon, you know, when you're listening to Mammon, what are you going to do? Shake your head, that's about it, you know, banging up and that. You know, there's no raise your fist or raise the roof. You can't do a dance to it, you know. So that's kind of what I mean. And I may just be foolable. It's audience participation music. That's, that's what the arena's about, man. Get in yeah. the arena and get everybody moving. Get them going. Get yeah. everybody in gladiator outfits. <laughs> well, you know, I went to I went to a show earlier this week and uh, saw Journey. And I always kind of thought they were kind of an arena band. And none of these people, and there were thousands that were at this show, it was totally sold out. None of these people knew anybody else or knew the rules or anything like that. And... People were waving their arms back and forth, or their lighters, or their cell phones, or whatever, and and it had the same. Even though it was more poppy sounding, it had the same feel that Arena does. So Todd got it. He definitely got it this time. Uh, that's what he was trying to do. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. One can I step. leave you? To, can I leave you two to talk amongst yourselves for a moment because I need a bio break. Okay, you got to do this for me though. One step. Higher, higher. All right, there you go. I think I was off key, but whatever. All right. Anybody else will take a bow break? Why don't we just play some play some jam right quick? Okay. Um, I'll pick something. You go ahead and disappear, and uh, Darnell, you can hang tight with me if you'd like. We'd love to Big have you stay. Joke. What Are about, you going to one of Brent's songs or what? Hey, I got this. You go take your bow break, darling. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's a good idea, actually. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to bogart in your show. Play some of that. Uh, play that one that you kept talking about, please. Um, the one with John Anderson? Yes. Okay, y'all. This one this one's incredible. This is let me give a little backstory on this. This was as he said, he wrote, he performed on and he produced this song with John Anderson from Yes and the singer from a Christian band called For Him, which I'm I am I don't listen to a bunch of Christian radio or anything like that, but I'd actually heard of them, so they're obviously a pretty big deal. It's called The Only Thing I Need, and uh, let's listen. It's about about five minutes long, so if anyone else needs a bio break, we'll see you on the other side. All right, hang on. Yeah. 
The Only Thing I Need, and uh, Sherry and Darnell were asking about that. What year uh, was it produced? Pardon me? Do you know what year it was produced? I, I can't find the year. It's been, okay, it was probably around 2000, maybe, maybe 98 or so. Mm. It's, on a, it's on a compilation album called Streams, and um, I do know when Brent sent me the 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 clip on that he personally thinks that that's about the best thing that he's ever done and I, I think it's very good I I really like it so it's what'd you very think? good it, it kind of has that 80s big the way it's 
the way it's mixed and everything and all the string parts and all that, it's got that big sound. It's it sounds very typical of an eighties production. It's kinda of, it's kind of um Christopher Cross ish to me. Yeah, I when I very first started I thought, oh, kind of an American keen but then all the vocals got really big and the strings came in so I thought, No, not really. <laughs> No, not really. <laughs> well, that was, uh, you know, I'm not familiar really with this for him, but whoever that um, vocalist was, it, it was very, it was a good contrast to John Anderson's vocals. I liked it. Mm-hmm. Mucho yeah. gusto. Doug, what do you think? Um, it was um, nice. It sounded a lot like yes at the start. Well, yeah, he's got a distinctive voice, that's for sure. But well, just the music sound too it sounded a little bit like yes to me. Hmm. The very beginning. See, that's why we need to get him back on the show so we can ask if John Anderson had any kind of input other than vocals. So. Oh, clearly he did. Am I? Never know. Okay, we'll ask. Yeah, yeah. But I've still got other stuff to play. Um, we don't have to play it right now, but. I do want to play this one song that that Brent was talking about that he wrote in response to Todd telling him he needed to like go back to the drawing board and write from the heart. <laughs> Quit writing the hits. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Make it mean something. Well, that was one question that I did not get to ask was, did Brent feel that Todd's input was a positive one, and that, that that was the smart decision and the smart way to go. But I didn't get that answer. I didn't get to ask. So I thought he said he was kind of destroyed by by it. So and, and and since he was upset by it, that's why he went back and wrote that song. Well, he did say that, but it did become their their best selling record. So what do you, what do you want to say? You know, you say he proved his point, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Are you gonna play a song now? Is that what you said? Oh, no, I mean I can. I don't know. What do you guys want to do? Do you have uh, some uh, any um, stuff from Yo-Yo? Yes, I do. I've got two songs from Yo-Yo to play. Are and then I've got one. Songs or clips? Songs, full songs, and I've got uh, one full song from his solo effort called Total Surrender. What you want to hear? None of it. None of it. I don't like whole songs. I like one minute clips. I don't have it. Well, let's, why don't we do the solo to close the show? How about that? What do you think, Darnell? Sounds good to me. There you go. This um, is his latest thing on his solo album? Perfect. But, yeah, the solo thing, the last thing that I'll play will be his most recent, although he's 13 years old. But All right, are we about done talking since I'm getting kind of bored with us? Are you really? Yeah. Okay, well, then I guess we'll have to play some music. <laughs> Doug, it's your show. What do you want to do? First of all, I want to tell people, if you want to make a suggestion for who we have on this show, shoot me an email, rungreenradio at earthlink.net, or if you have any ideas for the shows, etc. because uh, we've got some big plans coming up. We're going to do some things. We're going to mix it up a little bit, but we like feedback if you want to give some. And I guess that's it. Don't forget us next Tuesday at 830 Right here, rungradio.com, we will have Rachel Culp and Danny O'Connor. Other than that, just keep checking for that digital release of Arena. It's got to be out any day now, I'm thinking. Yeah. 
Everybody right. check, check out. Uh, I imagine we'll we'll get an announcement from the uh, MySpace site. Lynn's got to give us some kind of cue into what's going on. You would think. Okay. All right. So I guess that's going to be a wrap up of some music. Uh, since we got so much time, you could do a little bourgeois tag and then uh, do that solo. What do you think? Or all three of you right. guys. Darnell, you have a nice night. You too, Mel. Darnell, thanks up. for calling in. No problem. Okay. Darnell, California. Darnell. Okay. All right. This first song is the one that um, that Brent was talking about that was in response, direct response, to Todd sending him back to the drawing board. It's called Cry Like a Baby, and it is from Bourgeois Tag Yo-Yo. So let's give it a listen, shall we?
Okay, I was just watching the chat room, and you guys seem to like that one. It is pretty catchy. And to think that that one was just sort of suggested strongly uh, by our Todd to make it a better tune, what, whatever it was before, uh, he had Brent go back and, and rewrite it. And it is a good song. So yay for Bourgeois Tag on that one. Okay, I've got another one, and this one you guys have heard, but it's a short one. It's the I Don't Mind at All. It was their number 38 hit that year. It is also off of Yo-Yo. And, well, let's just give it a listen, and then I've got one more after that, and then we'll call it a wrap. So give it a try. The time for talking's over now. I guess it's time to let you go. But I don't know I don't mind at all It's getting so you never know And things are better left alone But I don't know I don't mind at all It's important to because it's really, really just that good. And it's only like two and a half minutes long. That just just seems so wrong. But it, it says everything that needs to be said. And well, I don't know. I think it might be one of my favorites. Okay, I've got one more song to play. It's a Brent Bourgeois solo effort off of his Come Join the Living World CD in 1995. 
And I'm going to play that, and I think I might be done. But if you guys might want to hear that song with John Anderson again, I could play it again. But you're going to have to tell me in the chat room. So start typing now if you want to hear it. If not, this is going to be the end of the show. Do check in next week, Tuesday night at 8.30, I think, Eastern Time. Rachel Culp and Danny O'Connor. And Doug's going to have a great show, so make sure you're there to listen. Here is Total Surrender from Brent Bourgeois.
Okay, everybody. Okay, there were a couple of votes, and I'm just going to go with the one that I happen to look up at, and it was to wrap it all up and play a clip from Mad, like you guys haven't heard it enough already. But I'm going to go ahead and play it, and that's the end of the show. Do check it out Tuesday night with Dougie. All right, take care, and have a great weekend.